Jesus teaches. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. A helpful discipline in Bible study is to focus in on one verse of scripture in context and study each word or phrase in that verse at a time. In this way, Bible study does not need to be cumbersome nor complicated. I want to model this simple study technique for this New Year's Day sermon as we consider together verse eight by examining this one verse with each word or phrase. Verse eight is given to us in two parts. The first part is a command. So do not be like them, that's the command. And the second part is the reason for that command. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. A command and a reason for that command, very simple. Let's look first at the command, given with the phrase, so do not be like them. So do not be like them. Now, this is not a command to pray. Although prayer is implied through all of this, it's not a command to pray. Technically, it is not a command to do anything. This is a command about being. That is, who God's people are like, who God's children resemble. Jesus teaches us that God's children are distinct from the world. Let us remember, brothers and sisters, that while our relationship with God certainly informs what we do, our relationship with God is not a result of anything we do. We are not saved by our works. We are not kept by our works. We are not pleasing to God on the basis of what we do. Remember this at this new year as you're planning out your goals, your hopes, your dreams, that you think if you do these things, it will be a successful year. You will be pleasing to God or to yourself. No. You're saved by God's grace. We are kept by God's grace. We are pleasing to God because of Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. The sermon is really that simple. It's meant to turn our attention away from what we are making for our own selves to do, to hear what our Father already knows, to trust what God already knows. If we make our plans to do, we err if we make them independent of who God has planned for us first to be like Jesus. God's children are not to be like them. God's children are to be like him like Jesus. Who is Jesus referring to when he says them? Verse seven tells us, let's back up one verse. 
And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. God's children are not to be like them. That is, they are not to resemble the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is a translation of the Greek word ethnikos from ethnos. Sometimes this word is translated as nations, pagans, or heathens. Used here, this word Gentiles refers to unbelievers. God's children are not to be like unbelievers. One way that God's children are not like unbelievers is in the way we pray. Verse seven, again, Jesus says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. The Gentiles pray too. Did you pick up on that? Everyone prays. In the most trying of times and desperate needs, everyone prays. But the Gentiles by nature, in this context as unbelievers, make their prayers about how their prayer is offered and how to get their prayer heard and answered. The form, the fashion of it, rather than the point of it, who they are praying to. Jesus teaches that the Gentiles employ meaningless repetition. That is, they use the same words again and again and again. Or they speak without thinking. They babble repeatedly. These are various expressions to help understand what Jesus is pointing to that the Gentiles do. See, they're in search for this right combination of words, the right formula that will move God to act and grant them their wishes. Jesus teaches that they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. They suppose they will be heard, meaning they don't know if they will be heard or not. They suppose. And rebuking this form of prayer, Jesus commands in verse eight, so do not be like them. This is the invitation to the gospel hope. God hears our prayers. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father does not need persuaded. Your father knows. And this moves to the second part of verse eight. The second part of verse eight is the reason for the command, do not be like them. And the reason is given with the first word that comes next in the Greek language. It is the word knows. Let's focus in on this important word, knows. Matthew chapter six, verse eight. The second part again, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus here shuts down the false assumptions of unbelievers. God does not need many words nor a repeated babble to be informed 
about our needs. He already knows our needs. Jesus says, your father knows. This word knows means that God already has all the information. And this creates for us a mystery of prayer, doesn't it? For if God already knows our needs and does not need informed about them, then the purpose of prayer is not about informing God. It's not about information. The purpose of prayer is not to inform God about our needs. There is nothing that we can add to what God already knows. Not one thing. Now, God is omniscient, meaning God knows everything, but this revelation is not meant to highlight God's omniscience here. It is meant to highlight God's loving care here. This word knows is not an adjective describing God. This word knows is a perfect active verb for all the grammarians out there, meaning God is acting in this knowing. God is actively aware of our needs because God loves and God cares for his children. May I say it this way? God knows what we need this year and what we need today because God loves us and cares for us as the good father that he is. On the screen there is a quote from one of the anonymous church fathers. We don't know who it is that said this. If God knows what we want ahead of time, then we do not pray to demand from God what we want, but that it may please him to bestow what we need. It pleases God to act as a result of his knowing, to bestow upon us what we need. This means it pleases God to be the source of our provision, Moment by moment, day by day, year by year, he doesn't give us tomorrow's bread, church, but he gives us our daily bread. And because of this, we are implored not to consider prayer as a light thing or as a meaningless activity, a repetitive thing. No, this knowing is God's acting toward us in relationship with him. The next two words highlight the relational bounds of God's acting. Who knows? Jesus teaches that your father knows. Your father. Jesus could have used any number of words to describe God in his teaching here, but he chooses the word father. It's a relational word. Verse eight again. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. It is often said that we are all God's children, but this is an error, it's wrong. Not everyone is a child of God in the sense that not everyone can appeal to God and cry out to him with these words, Father. Notice the word, your. Your father, that is a very important pronoun here. Your father, this is a contradiction to the pronouns them and they in reference to the Gentiles, the unbelievers. 
Listen to verse seven for the pronouns them and they again. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, life was about them and what they wanted. But the believer, the life of a child of God is different. A believer looks away from self and looks up. Verse eight, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The relationship believers have with God informs what believers want and what believers pray for. Jesus rebuked some Jews who wanted to kill him, saying in John chapter eight, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Ouch. You are of your father, the devil, he says to them. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Not everyone is a child of God, according to Jesus. Not everyone can call God Father. But you may in Christ today. I want you to examine your heart at the beginning of this new year. Are you able by the grace of God through the blood of Christ to call God your Father? Not everyone is able to do this. And so as we look ahead to the new year, the gospel message frees us from selfish goals and fleshly desires and instead refocuses our attention on this relationship that we have with God, your Father. Romans 8 says it this way, beginning in verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, are you listening? Leading to fear again? We can leave fear behind us. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out what? Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, if God is your father, it means that you are being led by the Spirit. And this sets you apart from the unbelievers in the world. Our verse again, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The next phrase is translated as what you need. What you need. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now this word need does not require excessive exposition for our understanding. The word need simply refers to what is lacking and needed. What is lacking and needed. God does not promise to give us what we want, does he? God's promise 
is for what we need. And when he gives us what we need, he's continually shaping our wants to align with his will, his desires for us. Philippians chapter four, verse 19 says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, God, whom Jesus calls your father, knows what you need. Let this be an encouragement for you and for us. These words, you here, these pronouns are actually plural. They're not singular here. And so God knows, in other words, what we need. As believers, we do not live in isolation. And let this text encourage us this year to prioritize the community that is the church of the living God, the Christ community. We need one another and God knows this. And in this way, our needs are held in common and are met by one another in the Lord and are shaped by one another as the Spirit unites us together in one accord. What need do you have that God is not able to meet? And the answer is nothing. Again, this is a very simple sermon, is it not? But one I believe we need to hear. And this leads us to the last phrase of our verse. Before you ask him. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This phrase gives us the reason to avoid any unnecessarily long prayers or mindless prayers or repetitive prayers. In fact, what Jesus is doing in this sermon is giving a new way to pray. It's not new in the sense that it's a novelty, something that's never been seen or practiced before, but it's new in the sense that it belongs to those who are of the new creation in Christ. For us who are believers, a new way to pray. And so this phrase, before you ask him, gives us an invitation to engage our mind in praying and not just leave our mind behind so that we might babble repetitively. You see, if God already knows what we need before we ask, again, we might wonder, well, why ask? We aren't informing God of anything he doesn't already know, so why pray? Yet we ask and we pray because he is our Father and he loves us deeply. He knows us intimately, every need. We ask so that the concern that we have over whatever our needs are will fade away into the background as we turn our hearts and minds to God, receiving his love and care and knowledge of us as his children in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we cannot understand or receive this Sermon on the Mount or any part of it without the preacher of this sermon. And who is the preacher of this sermon? It's Jesus. This is the Christ Conclusion, and this is best understood through the first words of the next verse, verse nine. Jesus says, pray then 
in this way. Again, this is a way different from unbelievers, different from the Gentiles. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now in verse eight, Jesus used the words, your Father. Pronouns are important, your Father. But in verse nine, Jesus says what? Our Father, our Father. What changes between your Father and our Father? The answer is Jesus, do you see it? Jesus is praying with us. Jesus, the Son, makes it possible for us likewise to call God Father. And so as we pray, he prays. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus took on human flesh. We just celebrated this incarnation at Christmas. He took on human flesh and therefore he knows every need, every weakness that we have and our frailty and our humanity. Said another way, there is not one need that you have or will have that God does not already know, that Jesus does not know. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter one this, just as he, being the Father, chose us in him, being Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. This means that God knew our greatest need before the world was, that we would need saving from sin, that we would be stained by the world, the transgressions, the lawlessness, the faithlessness. And yet God made provision before the foundation of the world to send his son into the world to take our place on the cross, to shed his blood that we might be made right with God, that we might be reconciled to God, that we might pray to God as our Father and know, not suppose, but know that he hears us and that if he has taken care of the need of our sin, what need will he not care for? Jesus died on the cross and as we know and believe and confess, he was raised from the dead. And Romans eight says this, Jesus Christ is he who died, yes rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also what? Intercedes for us. When we pray, church, Jesus is praying too. And I hope and pray that through the study of this simple verse, our focus will be turned away from ourselves and upon our heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, 
who knows every need we have now and will have tomorrow and throughout this year, and that we might trust him what he already knows, and that we might trust him enough to pray. I wanna ask that we end this sermon, this devotional sermon in a simple way, and that is by praying together these words that Jesus gave us to pray. Are you willing to do that with me? Would you stand? These words are gonna be on the screen, and I would invite you, let's begin this new year as a church in prayer according to his will with Jesus. Pray then in this way, would you say this with me? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory.